Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of rheumatic heart disease found under the cardiovascular section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 30-year-old woman presents to her physician's office for palpitations. She reports that she previously was diagnosed with group A streptococcal pharyngitis as a child and was suspected to have rheumatic fever. She took antibiotics for it, but she was subsequently lost to follow-up. On physical exam, there is a holosystolic murmur at the apex, suspicious for mitral regurgitation. She is sent for further imaging to confirm the diagnosis. Let's continue with an introduction to rheumatic heart disease. As a general overview, remember that this refers to a consequence of rheumatic fever characterized by inflammation and scarring of the heart valves. Demographically, it affects females more often than males, it is most common in developing nations, and it is the leading cause of pediatric heart disease. In terms of the specific anatomic location, it most commonly affects the high-pressure valves. The most common is mitral valve, followed by the aortic valve, which is followed by the tricuspid valve. Risk factors include poverty and overcrowding, recurrent acute rheumatic fever, and group A streptococcal pharyngitis. In terms of the microbiology, there should be at least one episode of acute rheumatic fever from group A streptococci. And with regards to the pathogenesis, there's cumulative inflammation and scarring of the heart valves resulting from an abnormal immune response to group A streptococci. Remember that molecular mimicry occurs between streptococcal M proteins and cardiac proteins. So there's cross-reaction of antibodies to streptococcal M protein with self-antigens and an immune-mediated type 2 hypersensitivity. The disease is characterized by an early stage of valve regurgitation, which is most commonly of the mitral valve, and in late stage of valve stenosis, which is also most commonly of the mitral valve. Conditions that are associated include rheumatic fever. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include palpitations most commonly, but may also include fatigue, chest pain, and dyspnea. On cardiac exam, one will note findings of mitral regurgitation, which include holosystolic murmur, which may have a systolic thrill, mitral stenosis, which presents with a diastolic murmur following an opening snap and is specific to rheumatic heart disease, aortic regurgitation, which presents with early diastolic decrescendo murmurs, and an aortic stenosis, which will present with a crescendo-decrescendo systolic ejection murmur. In terms of imaging, echocardiography is indicated when the murmur auscultated on exam is suspicious for rheumatic heart disease, and it helps to confirm the diagnosis. Specific findings include valvular abnormalities, which include regurgitation or stenosis. In terms of further studies, labs may demonstrate an elevated antistreptolysin O titer, and on histology, one may note Ashoff bodies, which are granulomas with giant cells on the heart valves. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about infective endocarditis with distinguishing factors being that there is no association with group A streptococcal infection. Other findings include Rothspots, Othler nodes, Janeway lesions, and splinter hemorrhages on nail beds, and there may be vegetation seen on the valves on imaging. And when making the diagnosis, remember that this is based on clinical presentation and confirmed with echocardiography. In terms of the management approach, all patients with rheumatic heart disease should undergo prophylaxis with penicillin for the following specific time periods. If there is no evidence of carditis, then for five years or until the patient is 21, whichever is longer. If there is evidence of carditis without valvular abnormalities, then for 10 years or until the patient is 21, whichever is longer. If there is evidence of carditis and valvular abnormalities, then for 10 years or until the patient is age 40, whichever is longer. Other specific treatments depend on the type and severity of the valve involvement. Medical options include penicillins, which are indicated for all patients in need of prophylaxis. Another option is sulfadiazine, which is indicated for all patients in need of prophylaxis and if patients are allergic to penicillin. 
Operative options include valve repair or replacement. This is indicated depending on the type and severity of valve pathology. Specific modalities include surgical repair or percutaneous intervention. Complications related to rheumatic heart disease include aortic regurgitation, cardiac arrhythmias, remember that left atrial dilation may lead to atrial fibrillation, and heart failure. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that the early stage may last for years and may be symptomatic, and the onset of symptoms usually occurs 10 to 20 years after acute rheumatic fever. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to rheumatic heart disease, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 15-year-old girl presents with four days of malaise, painful joints, nodular swelling over her elbows, low-grade fever, and a rash on her chest and left shoulder. Two weeks ago, she complained of a sore throat that gradually improved but was not worked up. She was seen for a follow-up approximately one week later. At this visit, her cardiac exam was notable for a late diastolic murmur heard best at the apex in the left lateral decubitus position with no radiation. Which of the following is the best next step in management of this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Penicillin therapy Choice 2. NSAIDs for symptomatic relief Choice 3. Aortic valve replacement Choice 4. Mitral valve repair Or Choice 5. Reassurance that this is a benign murmur and send her home The best answer to this question is Choice 1. Penicillin therapy The patient in this vignette most likely has rheumatic heart disease. Patients with mitral valve disease as a result of rheumatic fever should receive chronic penicillin therapy to reduce the risk of recurrent group A strep pharyngitis and progression of rheumatic heart disease. Rheumatic fever is an autoimmune disease sequelae of untreated pharyngeal streptococcal infection, which is caused by cross-reactions between streptococcal antigens and antigens on the joints and heart tissue. Rheumatic fever does not always lead to rheumatic heart disease, but when it occurs, it is more likely to involve left-sided heart valves, particularly the mitral valve. Mitral stenosis is the most common presentation of rheumatic heart disease. RHD usually only occurs after multiple attacks, but may occasionally occur after a single case of acute rheumatic fever, as in this case. The publication by Shipton and Waba reviews valvular heart disease. They note that the incidence of RHD has decreased significantly due to careful treatment of rheumatic fever. Although mitral stenosis is the most common valvular abnormality noted in RHD, mitral and aortic regurgitation also occur. The publication by Marion et al. reviews the use of echocardiography as a screening tool for RHD in Cambodia and Mozambique. While clinical screening showed a 0.2 to 0.3% prevalence of RHD, echocardiography screening showed a prevalence of 2 to 3% in the same group. They conclude that echocardiography screening may be a useful tool for diagnosis of RHD in high-risk populations. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choices 2 through 5. These interventions are not preferred at this time. There may come a time with progression of disease that our mitral valve will need repaired, but not this early in the course of the disease. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department with sudden fatigue and an episode of syncope. The patient states that his symptom came on suddenly while he was doing his laundry. Shortly after the episode, the patient continued to feel generally weak and dizzy and states that he feels too fatigued to do anything. The patient's wife brought him into the emergency department. The patient denies any past medical history and is not currently taking any medication. He has not seen a physician since he came to the U.S. five years ago. His temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.5 degrees Celsius. 
Blood pressure is 100 over 72. Pulse is 140 beats per minute. Respirations are 14 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 96% on room air. An EKG is ordered and demonstrates a rapid heart rate, P waves that are not easily discernible, and an irregularly irregular rhythm. The patient is started on IV fluids and metoprolol. A physical exam is performed and is notable for a lean body habitus and poor hygiene. Pulmonary exam demonstrates minor crackles. Cardiac exam demonstrates a diastolic rumbling heard at the cardiac apex. The patient's neurological exam is within normal limits. Which of the following is most likely found in this patient's history? And the answer choices are, choice one, untreated pharyngitis. Choice two, congestive heart failure. Choice three, malnutrition. Choice four, congenital anomaly. Or choice five, accessory conduction pathway between the atria and ventricles. The best answer to this question is, choice one, untreated pharyngitis. This patient is presenting with atrial fibrillation on EKG in the setting of mitral stenosis. The most common cause of mitral stenosis is rheumatic fever, which can occur secondary to untreated group A streptococcus pharyngitis. Mitral stenosis is found on physical exam as an opening snap followed by a diastolic rumble that is best heard at the cardiac apex. Untreated mitral stenosis can lead to atrial dilation, disruption of the cardiac electrical system, and atrial fibrillation. The most common cause of mitral stenosis is rheumatic fever, which is more common in immigrant populations. Rheumatic fever is caused by untreated group A streptococcus infections, such as streptococcal pharyngitis. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Congestive heart failure could cause atrial dilation and subsequent atrial fibrillation, but this is a less likely diagnosis than is rheumatic fever that then led to mitral stenosis. CHF would present with bilateral lower extremity pitting edema, JVD, and shortness of breath on exertion. Choice 3. Malnutrition can predispose a patient to thiamine deficiency and beriberi, which would present with congestive heart failure and a peripheral neuropathy. It is not a likely cause of mitral stenosis. Choice 4. A congenital anomaly could result in abnormal heart valves that could become calcified and stenotic, such as a bicuspid valve in aortic stenosis. This is a less likely cause of mitral stenosis than is rheumatic fever. Choice 5. An accessory conduction pathway between the atria and the ventricles describes Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which present with the delta wave in a shortened PR interval on EKG. Finally, a bullet summary. Rheumatic fever is the most common cause of mitral stenosis, which presents with an opening snap and diastolic rumble, and can predispose patients to atrial dilation and subsequent atrial fibrillation. That's all for this review about rheumatic heart disease. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.